You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. Most of you guys know this, but for those of you who don't, I'm a high school teacher on a regular day. Uh, this is a volunteer gig for me, but um, I want to share a story from my high school teaching career that I've, I've shared here before, I think, but it's perfect for the, the passage we're going to talk about today. Before I uh, was actually a full-time teacher. I had to substitute for a year. Couldn't find a job for a year. And in that process, uh, most of my time was in uh, one of the urban high schools around here. I'll name it. I'll leave it nameless, but it rhymes with Smalbany. Um, the, uh, you know, I did my student teaching there, and I, I was in physics, and it was like, you know, imagine physics students in any high school. It was very easy experience. Uh, but substitutes, substitutes don't get quite that. I meant that. It was actually pretty easy, honestly, compared to what substituting was. Uh, the substitutes don't get that kind of classroom, right? They get whatever uh, people don't show up for. And shockingly, some teachers don't show up more than others in schools like that, if you know what I'm saying. They have trouble dealing with that. So anyway, uh, I was there almost every day. And after a while, you get to know the kids. And I was in for one lady, particularly for she had surgery, she, uh, Mrs. Ford, I think her name was. Uh, for two weeks I was in, teaching her classes. I actually taught those classes because it was a two-week-long session. And after that, I was in other classes, doing other things, whatever. And very common thing, uh, when there's a substitute there, uh, students would find out there's a sub, and then they'd come in and sit in the class, even though they didn't belong there. And, you know, they let me call roll. You know, John Smith here, Jimmy Jones here, uh, you know, Bill Walton. Bill Walton, no, he's not here. Oh, that's me, right? Yeah, kid, no, now he knows he's got free license to do whatever he wants because Billy's going to get in trouble, not him, right? So I got wise to that after a couple of days. And so I, I was there for, like I said, most of the year. And after I had spent the two weeks in the class for that one lady, like the, I would think it was the next day. It was real soon thereafter. I'm in there, and this kid that I knew from that class came in and tried to pull that. You know, I, you know John Smith, you're here, and he raises his hand. I'm like, that's not you. I know your name. I said his name. He's like, and his response was, how are you going to tell me what my name is? I'm like, I, I, I was in for Mrs. Ford for two weeks. You sat in that seat in that chair. I helped you with your homework every day. That's how I know who you are. Kids started cracking up. They knew he was, he was caught, right? He persisted for, I don't know, two or three rounds of how are you going to tell me what my name is. Finally, I went over to the phone. He's like, all right, I'll leave. And I won't tell you the rest of the story publicly. You want to find out, I'd probably get fired now if I told you what happened. But, uh, you know, so he, he thought I didn't know who he was, and he tried to pull this over on me, right? So he, he just, it was a... It's a funny story I like to tell. My kids get a kick out of it. They get a kick out of the ending more than that. But uh, anyway, so we're going to be back in John 9, and you'll see why I told that story in a minute. So if you want to open up your Bible to John 9, we'll do that. I want to actually remind you. It's been a few weeks since we've been in John, and I want to remind you the purpose of John's book. I want to read to you a couple of verses from John 21 to remind us what this is about. Uh, those should be up here in a second. John 21, verses 30 to 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to remind us as we get back into John, that's why we're reading this book, right? So that we can know who Jesus is and through him have eternal life. That's for everybody, all time to hear that uh, that's our purpose, is to let people know about Jesus and have their lives changed. That's what we are going about here. So... Um, John 9, it's actually the, it's one long story in the whole chapter. I had two choices. I could either read the whole chapter to you or give you a synopsis. I'm going with a synopsis, okay? Is that all right with everybody? I strongly recommend you go home and read the whole chapter, though, so you get the flow. But it's really one quick story, honestly. Um, Jesus, not long after, uh, what we finished with John was his time at the Feast of Tabernacles with uh, interacting with being a living water and the light of the world. And the way this is written, it's clearly not long after that, but we don't know the exact time frame. 
So he's walking around and sees a blind guy and fixes him up, right? In the middle of that, the disciples ask him about why the guy's blind. Uh, they're asking about his sin versus his parents' sin, and Jesus straightens him out with that, heals the guy, and the guy goes away and then finds his friends and look, I can see. And they say, that's not you. You aren't who you say you are because you were blind and now you're not, right? And so the, they kind of put the grill to him. And he said, I am who I am. I'm, I can see now. This guy healed me. And they didn't believe him and uh, then took him to the Pharisees. This guy said he was healed. By the way, this is on the Sabbath, which produces a problem for the Pharisees, of course. And then uh, he proceeds to debate with the Pharisees who he is. And the Pharisees go get his parents because they don't believe. And the parents say, yeah, that's our son. And the Pharisees, well, how come he's, how, he was blind? How come he's not now? Don't ask us. Ask him, right? They, they don't want to get in the middle of that. And they, again, go back and forth with the guy. And eventually the, uh, they, the guy gets wise to him and says, hey, listen, you know, this is what happened. How do you not believe it? It's a miracle. And they say, you were born in sin. Go away. And Jesus hears that and goes and talks to the guy, talks to the man that he healed about, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? And they have that exchange about, yes, I do. And, you know, the guy's obviously... Uh, changed forever because of this, and the Pharisees hear this and get in the middle of it with Jesus about, um, well, are we blind? You're saying he's blind, and you know, the guy Jesus says, "Hey guys, if you were, if you didn't think you were blind, you are, and if you could see, you'd know what I was talking about, and you're just guilty." That's that. So that's kind of the synopsis of the story. Okay, um, and I will I'll read some of the pieces along the way of pertinent scriptures that I want to share with you. But I do recommend you go read the story because it's actually it's an amusing story. Honestly, so the, the the debates over who this guy is crack me up. You know, the guy kind of like how are you going to tell me my name kind of thing. Okay, so we're going to start. Actually, the first two verses get us rolling here. I'm going to read those to you. In John nine chapter or John chapter nine verse one, it says, "As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him." Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, and this is going to bring us a couple of points, but I want to the, immediately. Uh, there's this like puts me in a place where I, these guys are clueless. Okay, they they don't get it. They have a, a mistaken worldview. They don't understand how the world works. Um, and actually, my memory of this story, and I went into it when I was going to prepare this sermon, thinking that that was the Pharisees asking that question. And and as I read, it, I'm like, wait a minute. That was the disciples asking that question. So this isn't the Pharisees who clearly have a messed up worldview, right? We know that they're, they don't understand a lot of stuff. But these are the guys that are following Jesus. And in the culture of their day, their worldview was skewed. They didn't get it. They didn't know how things worked, okay? What they expected was, and I've referenced this before, they expected that life works in a transactional way. If you do good things, good things happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things happen to you. That's all they understood. That was taught to them by the religious leaders. Most people just kind of said, yeah, that makes sense, okay? Uh, there are scriptures, certainly, that would support that in, in some ways. Um, but the, the reality is, God doesn't work that way all the time. Not all the time. Um, and you have to be cautious in taking that approach to thinking things, right? Our relationship with God is not purely transactional. It can't be. It, we'd be lost. That's a losing proposition on our part, right? Um, our behavior has consequences, absolutely. Uh, doing things out of the will of God can lead to negative results, absolutely. They can lead to negative interactions with him, 100%. But our relationship with God, that eternal life that John references, that is not transactional, guys. That is not something we can give and take with God. There's only him giving and us taking. There's no way around that. And in general, now, if, if you're a person who's just investigating this for the first time, you might think that way too, and it, it's kind of it's our default setting as humans to think that if I do this, then this will happen, right? That's that's kind of acceptable. 
But when we start dealing with God and we try to get right with him by bargaining with our behavior, that's when we go down the wrong road, right? Um, so God didn't, uh, let me put it this way, he, he kind of entertained that, that notion of ours that we can make things right by doing the right thing. He did give Israel the law and said, okay, live by this, right? And when he did that, he was giving it to them so they could see they couldn't do it, right? Paul, Paul made that clear in his writings that the law was meant to let people know they can't live this way on their own, okay? And that we need Jesus to fix us. Uh, that the only uh, right way to come to God is from his righteousness, not ours. That, that's the only way to do that. And our, our approach to God needs to be one of like humility and submission to him and understanding that we're not, not able to do it, not one of we're in a bargaining position with him. And that, that's the, the worldview they have. We have no standing to bargain with him, right? We've we got nothing to offer him in that way. Um, and earlier in John, John 3, we read that those who don't know Jesus are condemned already. It's just the, that's the default setting of humans is condemned already because of the sin in our hearts and our lives. Um, and then that's surrendering to Jesus. That's what brings us the, the relationship of eternal life, okay? Um, when you're condemned already, you have no way to bargain with anybody. You're already in the losing position. And trying to relate to God that way as the disciples at the time, even though they were following Jesus, they weren't really understanding yet. And the Pharisees and the rest of the, uh, the culture of the world certainly thought they could, you know, if they did the right things, God would uh, receive them. In fact, it was, it, in our culture, it's almost boiled down to if I do enough right things compared to the wrong things that I do, that I'll be okay. Okay, and that, that's just a mistaken approach there that we need to kind of, I want to make sure that we don't have that. In fact, in our culture today, in our church culture, especially if you've been around church for a while, so some of you who haven't been around church may not understand this, but those of you who have will kind of get what I'm saying here. I think we have a, a whiff of this transactional stuff, kind of bargaining, still floating around in our hearts, and I want to make sure that we don't get in that spot with God. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that we always remember we have nothing to offer him for our salvation and that our, our relationship with him is based on what he did. Um, the, the lingering thought, I feel, still floats around a little bit. And, and, and hear me here, words matter, the way we approach things. Uh, here, remember, one of the things we've done to help with that kind of understanding is we always try to talk about surrendering to Jesus instead of just believing. The word belief in our culture today is different from what the culture of the Bible had. The, the word belief for us tends to mean like a, an intellectual agreement. I agree that that's true. I agree to the facts, okay? Um, and that's not what Jesus wants when he asks you to believe in him. He wants you to give your heart to him and be completely his and not still trying to manage the reins, okay? Um, so that idea is one that we've we shared publicly with you. This isn't a hiding. We don't hide behind that. We let you know that's what we're doing so you can understand how to approach God. Words matter, right? The way we say things matters because it affects, actually, it's two things. It affects the way we think, but also it, it re reveals the way we think. Right, the the words we say, the words we use, reveal the way we think. Nowadays, any agreement, or disagreement rather, in any sort of public forum, is always fought over the words that we use before anything else happens. A very simple example: pro-life versus anti-choice. That's describing the same people, but the camp you're in is the way you describe them, right? And that that's a place where it's very easy to see the contrast. If, if who wouldn't support people being alive and keeping people alive, right? That's obvious. But on the other hand, who would deny someone a choice? And then you get into that word battle rather than talking about the real things, okay? Uh, another place you might see this um, is the, the language that's been used over uh, whatever's happening with our temperature system. I don't want to get a step on anybody's toes, okay? <laughs> Global warming to, you know, uh, 
I can't remember, I wrote them down here because there's so many different ways to say it. Global warming, climate change, I've heard climate emergency recently. In fact, I just read this week that people are starting to refer to natural gas as fossil gas to change the way people think about it. Words matter, okay? The way you approach this matters. If you take a chance with, uh, uh, if you take the stance of disagreement with anything, you're likely to be lab labeled a phobe of some sort, right? of whatever variety. And I want to remind you all that the word phobe comes from phobia, which means fear. Because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you're afraid. And by using the word phobe on something, they're putting people in a place of fear rather than disagreement, putting them at a disadvantage in the discussion. Okay? Words matter, guys. Words matter 100%. So when I, when I get into this, what I want you to think about is the words matter as a way we describe our relationship with Christ as well. In our modern church culture, it's common, and believe me, I'm not trying to legislate anybody's vocabulary here, but I want you to think about this. I'm, I'm trying to put something out for, like, food for thought for you. It's common to talk about accepting Christ into your heart or something of that nature. Um, the Bible generally speaks of that event as receiving Christ. Um, when you accept something, you have a position of judgment as to whether or not it's acceptable to you, right? Is, is this good enough, or is, am I going to take this or not? I went to, to, this just struck me as I was reading this, and I, as I went to do some research on this, I, I looked at all of the uses of accept in the Bible and the translation we use. Our translation is relatively literal. Um, there's some translations that are a little bit more fluid with the way they do things and try to make it more modern language. Accept shows up a little bit more times in those where it says receive in ours, but in general, uh, they're close. Um, when you see the word accept, it's used overwhelmingly in one particular way is whether or not God will, will accept our uh, sacrifices or our worship. That's when it's used, God accepting us, not us accepting God, okay? The second most common thing is whether or not kings and wicked people will, will accept bribes. So I don't think that's necessarily something we want to be in the middle of that. Um, then the third most common was whether God's people would accept his correction, his rebuke, and his teaching, which is... We need to do that, right? We need to accept from him that he's telling us how to do things. Uh, there are a couple uses of, of, of accept and people accepting God's word and what it means about their salvation. So it's not like I'm telling you you can't say this. But I, wanna, I want you to consider the tone it takes in the way you are sharing your faith with people especially, but even just as you're talking about amongst ourselves. Um, consider it in a different context, okay? Consider, consider a, a trial in front of a judge and the person who's accused has been convicted. And the judge says to him, listen, the maximum sentence here is 25 years to life. You know what? I'm gonna just render it time served. You're free to go. Thank you, Your Honor, I accept that from you. I don't think that's the tone you're taking with Your Honor, right? And then even more later, hey man, you know what that judge did to me? He said I could go free and I accepted it. I said, that's cool, judge, thanks. No, that's not how that's going to go. You're going to be like, whoa, this guy really let me off the hook. Thank you, right? So I, I feel like there's a tone there that's not appropriate. Remember, that the convict was condemned already. He had no position to accept that or not. It was done for him, and he said thank you and went on his way, right? Um, there's another analogy that's used about accepting things that I think would help you see this more. Um, lots of people talk about uh, they accepted the gift from God, and I mean, the wages of sin is of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So I'm not going to argue with the fact that it's a gift from God. It certainly is, right? But um, I, and it's, I suppose it's true you can accept you cannot accept a gift. Um, but I thought about why you wouldn't accept a gift from somebody. 
And I mean, one of the things is maybe you're in a position where it could be considered inappropriate, like a bribe or something, that would be appropriate. But there you're deciding that I can't take that because it wouldn't look right. That's not salvation, right? I don't think. Um, maybe you feel like the giver either can't afford it or shouldn't part with that, right? We've all been in that situation where someone's giving us something that's really precious to them and we're like, whoa, right? you know. But uh, God can afford it, right? He's, he's willing to part with it, he did it on purpose. So that's not something we should say, I, ex I don't accept that, right? Um, you don't, maybe you don't want to owe somebody. That's very common. A lot of us have the pride where we don't want to be in debt to somebody because they gave us things. I get that. But, man, if you want to have that attitude, you, you've got no hope of God because you owe him everything, right? There's no way to get around that. Um, I actually, I wondered if I was missing something. I thought about this and tried to figure out what other reasons might, so I just Googled it. Why do people not accept a gift? I want to read you this because it cracked me up. You might not like the item, or you didn't like the person who's giving it to you and you'd rather not accept anything from him or her at all. Frankly, it's possible that you already have the very same item as the one that has just been given to you. I don't think any of that applies to salvation and God, right? So I just, I feel like um, all of those reasons to reject something, or to not reject, I don't want to say that word, to not accept a, uh, a gift, really boil down to some layer of pride in there that, I, that for some reason that's not going to do. Uh, and I don't think that's the message we want to send as we talk about uh, our, our faith and talk about the gospel to other people. So that is, uh, and, and you know, in all that, most people usually say they received a gift, not that they accepted it. If you think about how you did that, you received a birthday gift, not that I accepted a birthday gift from somebody. So I think there's a little bit of twisting of words there when we use that, that language. Um, I, I just want us to, I want to put that out there for thought because guys, words do matter. In fact, in Matthew 12, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you speak that way about your salvation, what's in your heart? Right? I just, I just want to lay that out there as a food for thought. I'm not going to yell at anybody if they say they accepted anything. Okay, But I do think it is a, it's a whiff of that transactional, I, I decided to do something for God and therefore it worked out for us kind of deal. And I think that's not necessarily the best way to go about it. And it can seep into our hearts real quickly. And then we end up having that. So the disciples, right, they asked the wrong question because they didn't understand. So putting that out there for you to think about um, in terms of our worldview, how we look at things. We have, to we have to remember that they got us everything and we got nothing to offer them, okay, in terms of our relationship with them. He wants us to offer him everything back. He wants us to serve him and all that stuff. We got plenty of things that we do that are a response to that, but that relationship with God can only come from a, uh, a, a him giving to us, us receiving them. Okay, so next point. Right from the same uh, passage, actually, I'm going to read a, a little bit longer there. Starting at verse 2, he says, or the Bible says, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, and made mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There's the miracle for us, right? So in this, uh, there's some misplaced blame here. People don't understand clearly. It really goes along with what I was saying before about misunderstanding the worldview. They, the, the, these guys kind of jumped all over the guy or his parents while he was sinful. And that's what's known as a false dichotomy, right? Two choices that need, don't have to be the only thing. Did the man sin or did his parents sin? That's why he's blind. That's the assumption, right? It's like walking up to somebody and say, hey, does your boss know you're stealing from the company? How do you answer that? 
yes, he does, or no, he doesn't. Either way, you're stealing from, I'm not stealing from the company. You've got to answer it a different way, right? You've got to say something different to what they gave him a false choice. So Jesus dealt with it very well, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the, the thing that I want to talk about is they're looking to blame somebody. They, they can't accept the fact that this guy would be blind unless there was someone that did something wrong. And that's a very, again, very default setting for people. We don't like when things don't work the way they should unless we know the reason why. And that, that's common. Every time something, I know I, man, I'm ranting and raving every time and I'm trying to fix something and it won't work, right? It should work, but it doesn't. And I've thrown a thing or two and probably not been very honorable to God sometimes, but you know, that's how you, I get it, right? I get that feeling of this should work. Why isn't it working? Let's fix it. And if it, if, Someone did it, I want to, hey, why'd you do that, right? That whole thing. You, let's make this right, and you don't do that again, because then it'll break things again, that kind of stuff. Okay, my kids will tell you I'm, I'm bad at that, all right? So um, the problem with all that is we don't know what should really means. We don't know what should be. We think we do, right? They think this guy should have his sight, because that's normal. Okay, right? Well, why doesn't he? There should be, it should be this way. And we don't get what God's really doing in things. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God had something else in mind. That's what should be happening. And we don't understand that. And it bugs us, and we want a reason for it. Um, the, the reality here is that we need to understand, first of all, we don't get everything. And secondly, the world is broken, and things are going to break, and not everything's going to work all the time. And boy, that fries me. <laughs> this is annoying, right? But it is what it is. And just to put in perspective what these guys were saying here, just to kind of put to rest their silly discussion, they were asking if that man, when he was a baby in the womb, sinned, causing his blindness, or if their parents sinned and caused his blindness. Okay? And there's evidence that the rabbis would use about Jacob grasping the heel in the womb, that there was an issue there, so that, that's where they come up with that kind of thought. Um, I, I don't really have a lot to say about that. I disagree, but I mean, that's, very, that's a long stretch from you know, a baby moving around in the womb to you know, he committed sinful acts, therefore he's blind. I don't get that. Um, we have to recognize, guys, that sin just straight up broke the world. Right? When sin entered the world, death entered the world, and with it, the curse of us having to work hard, women, the fact that childbirth is painful, and all the things that flow with that. If you look through the scriptures at God's description of what sin did to the world, disease, death, destruction, that's the outflow of that. In fact, in Romans, it talks about, I think it's Romans, uh, the creation is groaning, waiting for sin to be removed so it could be the way it was supposed to be. That's the should, the way God made it, right? And, and we don't know what should is right now. It's messed up. And sin's broken. Sin broke the world. And things happen that we can't explain. And that's a hard thing to swallow. A lot of folks want that rational cause and effect relationship, and it's just not there for us, and we have to understand it. However, I will say that in their defense, right, guys, realize behavior has consequences, like I said before, right? For example, one who drinks to excess, which the Bible says is sinful, would not be shocked that they end up with cirrhosis of the liver, right? This is, this is reasonable kind of thing. You're doing something that's hurting you and it, it causes problems. I get it, right? Use of tobacco, whether smoking or, or putting the stuff in your lip, lung cancer, mouth cancer, these things follow, all right? That, that's not shocking. Um, uh, adults in the room, certain activities will transmit diseases, if you know what I'm saying, and those have consequences. In fact, as I was reading this, it turns out one of those diseases, if the baby is born when the mother has that, things can get in their eyes and make them blind. So there was some actual 
substance behind them asking about the parents having sinned. Um, it, I'm certainly not going, and, and they knew that in that day, right? Uh, that, that may be true then. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least float them. That's a possibility. But in the reality here, guys, we know that sin has broken things. And because of that, things won't work out the way they, we think they should. And with that, we need to perhaps give everybody, including ourselves, a little bit of a break on understanding things that sometimes things just break and they don't work. And because this, the world has fallen apart because sin got into it, right? And, and just like the world is waiting for that, like groaning and waiting for that to come off of them, so are we. I mean, that's one of the things I look forward to when I read in Revelation about the new heavens and the new earth is the lack of pain and crying and death and all that. That's good stuff. And I'm looking forward to that too. It's not here yet. And we have to accept that. I mean, there's a biblical example very clearly of uh, someone who did not sin and yet suffered mightily. And that's Job, of course, right? He, God labeled him. He's a righteous man. He had no, God had no problems with Job. Satan wanted to play games and show him that uh, Job would curse God and, and be bad if he took all his good stuff away. God said, have at it, right? I don't understand why that should happen. That seems kind of not cool to me, honestly, right? But God did it and is glorified through it all. And we see, you know, that Job was, you know, through all that, accused falsely, all that kind of stuff. His wife told him to curse God and die, right? All kinds of things happened there. And he was not sinful. He was not a sinful man. And yet all these bad things happened to him. Very clearly, this is not... Uh, if you do bad stuff, good things happen. If you do good stuff, good things happen. It's not the way it works. I'll give you an example from my own life, very, very actually pertinent to this. Most of you know my daughter, Beth, who has Down syndrome. Okay? When I look at that and read this story, is God punishing me or Beth or Lisa? That's a tough call, guys. Right? I'm not going to say that. Um, you certainly might. You're welcome to say that. But think about it this way. Did that little baby do something to have her chromosomes mess up? I, I don't think you can say that. Uh, that would be an interesting discussion. We can have that conversation, I guess. Um, am I a sinful man? You bet. I'm not going to even pretend otherwise, right? I got all kinds of issues going on up here. Even if you don't see them, I, got, I know I got the issues. I should buy a subscription. I got so many issues, all right? That's how that works. My wife is wonderful. She'll admit she's got issues too, right? We all do, all of us, right? So if I, I'm going to look at myself and say, did I do something or did Lisa do something to make God twist her chromosomes and not make them work right? That's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. I don't see that as punishment. I'll be honest with you. When we got the diagnosis, we didn't find out in the womb. We found out when she was born. And I, I'm going to be pretty open about this. I, I looked at her and said, hmm, looks a little different. That kind of looks like Down syndrome, but nah. And we went on. We were happy. And then the doctor said, no, we just got Down syndrome. It broke me. I cried straight up. That one over there was a champ. She, she, this is my daughter. I'm going to take care of her. I cried. It was hard. It was hard. I, I got my act together after a few minutes, got her all settled, went home. On the way home, I was crying. Called somebody I cared about to tell them I cried. I got my act together by the time I got home to my kids and didn't cry in front of them, but they knew I was upset. It was hard. But is it punishment? Not a chance, man. Not a chance. That little girl, if you know her, is awesome. Right? And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. She has been such an impact on so many people's lives. All of the therapists that came into our house heard about Jesus. Lisa was relentless with them. I know for a fact at least one of them has surrendered her life to Christ. And I'm so happy. And that's because of Beth, right? She's, Lisa's going around. These little cards we have, we, got, we order 500 of them. I think Lisa gives out 300 of them. She's giving them to everybody, okay? She was doing that. Beth took them from her hand and gave them to somebody and said, you should come too, right? This is not punishment, guys. 
a chance, okay? So when we look at the world and things go wrong, it's not always because somebody did something. And we have to have that, we have to have that reality. So why does it happen, right? You know, the, the, the reality is, Jesus says here, so the works of God might be displayed in them. I don't know what that means. In general, I don't. Times you can pick it out and say, look what happened. I could have shared some of those things that I could say, hey, look what happened. You know, God's doing this stuff. But God is glorified somehow in these things. And we have to, we have to give him that. We have to give him that glory. And Jesus did it here by healing the dude, right? Here, here he is, blind from birth. He's a beggar. I didn't reference that. He had to beg. Blind people had to beg. His parents couldn't even take care of him. So he, he's just a lost cause at the mercy of everybody in the world. And Jesus fixed it. Right, and he took care of it for God's glory, and he was telling people, "I'm doing this for God's glory." He wasn't trying to hide it. All right, so so we don't know what the should is, and we need to leave room for God to move. Right, a couple things in here, just to reference the verses again. Are they up there still? Yeah, verse four. We must do the works. Jesus included his disciples in that. That's you and me too, guys. We must do these things that God has for us to do to show His glory. Whatever's going wrong in your life, whatever's bad, keep working for God. Right? Don't just Throw up your hands and say, oh, sin broke it, or I messed up, or whatever. Work for God. And he'll, he'll pull that through somehow. I don't know the should. I don't know. But he'll do it. Okay? And I really like this. Where is it there? Uh, go to the next slide, please. The next verse. Yeah. Verse 6. Having said these things. right? He said we had to say, and he did it. Here we go. Going to do a miracle for you. Watch this, guys. Right? Now, this... I don't want to get too deep into this, but it kind of amused me. He spit on the mud and wiped on his face, right? So there's actually a classification of miracles called the spittle miracles. I was educated this week about that. <laughs> Three spittle miracles. Are you kidding me? So these guys are going in depth about why the spittle, and I don't know. Come on, right? Who knows? Jesus did it because he did it. Maybe there's meaning to it. They, I read it, and I wasn't convinced what they thought. They had some really... Interesting ideas, whatever. Okay, but he spit on the guy. He spit on the stuff. So imagine doing this today. Right? Here, you know, let me fix you. Wipe it on the face. What's going to happen? What? Keep your spit in your mouth, right? That kind of, I'm not going to do that, right? You can't be spitting on people, but Jesus did it, right? Apparently it was okay. Apparently it was okay. Um, anyway, we got this miracle happened, and Jesus healed him, right? And this just shook the world. It's on the Sabbath, all kinds of trouble. And we'll get into that here now in the, the end of the sermon here. So, a couple more thoughts. Uh, there's a big chunk of mistaken identities going on, okay? All of a sudden, nobody knows who this guy is. They, were, they knew he was the beggar. Now he's not because he's not blind and all that. Um, I don't think I'm going to read through all these verses for you. It's a lot. Basically, it's a back and forth of the people saying, you can't be who you are. Yes, I am. The, he finally convinced him because he, whatever. And he's talking about Jesus did this. This guy did this. He didn't know who it was at first because he was blind. He didn't see him, right? But he, he figured it out later. Um, you know, and, and all this stuff going on with these people back and forth, the bottom line of all of this, when you read it for yourself, please do that. The, the, the people didn't believe because it was a miracle. It was weird. I, it's hard. It would be hard to believe. It would be hard for me to, to know somebody who was blind and the next day see them, they could see. And they told me it was a miracle. It would be like shocking, right? All of us would be taking a step back. Hey, did God really do that kind of stuff? Okay. So his, his neighbors kind of were like, okay, we don't get it, but let's take him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were having none of it. They were having none of it. They refused to believe the miracle. They refused. They, 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 some of them knew the guy. Some of them, they went and got his parents, right? This was not like done in a corner of the neighborhood. It was well known what was going on. They called his parents and brought him back. And it all boiled down to the fact that they didn't want to 
believe what happened because Jesus did it in a way they didn't expect or didn't accept, really. He did it on the Sabbath. You can't be doing those things on the Sabbath because they had their laws in the way, which they misunderstood, obviously, right? Um, and in all of this, too, the, the mistaken identity things, the parents, I, I feel bad for the parents because they ended up just dodging. I, I, I mean, they should have taken some a better stand, but they were afraid. It says in there that the Pharisees were getting rid of people who acknowledge anything about Jesus, right? You, you can't be around anymore, casting them out. So they ended up just saying, hey, ask him what happened. I don't know, right? They confirmed he was their son and, and did that. But uh, just take a look at that and, and just see the, the interesting back and forth. I, the, the main issue that happened, uh, it was actually pretty interesting, and I'll get to that in a second, is the way that the man interacted with the Pharisees. And that, that's kind of how I want to finish up today, okay? There was some mismanaged logic in all of this. These guys... We're trying to make arguments, and both parties were just kind of spinning wheels and doing stuff. I will, I will read this for you. Actually, let me find the one I want to read. Yeah, let's read verse 24. Find that for us, guys. Yeah. So they, they had talked to him already and talked to the parents. Now, so for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner, referencing Jesus. He answered, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, though, is I was blind and now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've already told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? I love that. <laughs> he, he got right on them, right? He got right on them. He, he was, he, they'd already put him, he'd been through the ringer with his neighborhood, his, his friends. The Pharisees went after him. His parents didn't really support him. And the Pharisees are coming back after him again. And he had it. Right? Sometimes you see these guys, they just, I don't know, and, and kind of slink away. This guy kind of, he gave it back to him. Right? Kind of like Paul did at one point. He said, I, would, I wish you were like me, right? He, he, yes, I'm telling you what you, I want you to change. So he was saying, you guys want to follow him too? Because that's what I'm doing. Let's go. And they got mad. They got really mad. Verse 28. Uh, they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opens the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. What do you teach us? And they cast him out. They threw him away. Okay? So for the blind man, it was a simple reality. This guy fixed my eyes. This is not normal, he must have something from God to be able to do this, okay? Now, imagine that. That culture was steeped enough in their religion that they actually believed there was God. This happens today, right? You, you find someone who can heal the blindness today, people have got all kinds of reasons why it might have happened that aren't, have anything to do with God. Our culture is not in this place at all. For, for these guys, it was, was it from God or was it from the devil? That's what it boils down to, right? And this, this man is like, listen, I, nobody's ever heard of this ever. And, and a couple of commentaries I, I read, if I recall correctly, there, there aren't any records of blindness being fixed that I can recall. There, there might be a, a record or two, but I'm not sure. But in general, this is not something that happened. In fact, it was one of the prophecies of the Messiah, is that he would make the blind see. And that's what the guy's saying, right? You guys, listen. This is, what, this is from God. This is the only way they did it. For him, it was remarkable that they didn't believe it. That was the shocking thing to him. That here's a miracle happening, clearly a, a God thing, and yet you're saying, this isn't? You're crazy. Um, the, it, so there's a couple of warnings in this here I want, I want us to think about. Okay? First of all, from the Pharisees' aspect, they didn't believe because Jesus didn't do it the right way. 
He wasn't, you know, honoring the Sabbath and all those things. So he can't, it can't be from God. So I, for us, that might be something to consider uh, as we say, see God doing things. You know, sometimes people do things differently than we do. And we can get a little bit judgmental towards that. And I want us to be careful not to dismiss what God's doing because we don't like the way people's doing, people are doing something. That it may uh, go against what we think is what God wants, right? You know, I don't have any examples off the top of my head that I want to share. But, you know, there, there's things that happen in, in the, the church world that we kind of go, huh, and don't like it because maybe they're doing it a little differently or they don't do it the way we do. And we want to be careful there because God's doing stuff and we're not the judge of those things, right? Be careful with that. Um, and probably that often comes from either some envy or some pride in there. So just, just a thought. You know, if, if God's doing stuff and it's clearly from him, let's not pick nits on some things, right? Let's make sure that we're, we're not trying to dismiss people because they're not doing things the way we're doing it. But on the other hand, right, the, the man here had a little bit of logic that potentially isn't you know, so valid. He's trying to make the case that if this guy did miraculous things, he must be from God. And scripture speaks of people who do false miracles, right? So we want to be careful not to assume that if something's miraculous that God did it either. It, a good bit of discernment is important, right? You kind of got to balance that out. Um, but in either case, be cautious. Don't just assume that you know what's going on. Take time to think about it, okay? Evaluate what's happening from God's word and make sure that you're, you're clear. So to finish this up here, I want to talk about Jesus' reaction to all this. In verse 38, oh, actually, one more thing about the, the blind man and the Pharisees. When they told him, you were born another sin, why would you teach us? They were saying, we know you were blind, and there's a reason for it. You're sinful. We know you're blind, and it's fixed now, and just go away. They were acknowledging that he was telling them the truth. Right? They were, they were trying to deny it all along, you weren't you, but at the end, they did. They just told him, you were born in sin, you were blind, now you go away, that kind of thing. They just quit, gave up. I think it's just revealing that they were double talking the whole time. Okay, so verse 39 through the end of the chapter. This is Jesus talking to the man. He has the interaction with the guy about, you know, do you believe the Son of Man? Who is it? I am. He said, you're looking at him right now. He admitted again. We've talked about this several times. People who don't think Jesus said he was God are missing the boat. He said it here. Uh, verse 39, though, he says this. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. So he was doing this in public. He wasn't trying to talk in the corner with the guy. The guy found him in the public square and was talking to him, and Jesus said this out loud. So the Pharisees overheard it and said, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They were condemned already. Jesus said very clearly in another part of Scripture, I didn't come to heal the healthy. I came to heal the sick, and the sick are who need me. People who think they're healthy, they, don't need, they think they don't need me. And I, you know, I, can't, I can't do anything for them because they think they're okay. Right? So that he was just confirming there, um, by saying their guilt remains, he was refreshing that thought of they stood in their guilt already. There was no, we'll see how things work out, and we'll transact with God and make it work. It's, you're condemned already, you need me, is what he was telling them. And he was making it clear, again, those who don't know me will find me. Those who think they don't need me, yeah, you're not going to get what you need, right? Um, it's a gospel allegory here, guys. We're all, we're all blind, right? We started off this world blind, unclear of anything. We think we know stuff, and it's only through God to change our eyes and make us see. He'll change our hearts, make us able to see him and to follow. And that's what this is all about, right? Helping people to follow Jesus. So as we come to a close here, I'm going to pray for us. Our worship team will come up and we'll sing one more song. I just ask you to think about that to, from all the way through here. Is, it, is this a place where uh, your heart is, where you want to follow Jesus? Then follow him. 
right? If you're wondering and thinking, search those scriptures and figure out what he's got to say to you. Uh, at any point, if you want to talk to me or Steve or anybody, else, a lot of people in the church would be happy to talk to you about this. But if there's something you want to talk about, if you've, if you've taken a step of following Jesus, man, let us know. It's awesome. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for healing the blind, Lord. Thank you for opening the eyes of those who can't see so they can follow you. Lord, nothing's more important. That man could have been blind the rest of his life physically, but Jesus fixed his heart, made his heart so he could see. And that man followed him, said it right there in the scripture. He believed and followed. Lord, I pray that you would help those here today that need their eyes open to open them. Lord, those who've had their eyes open, help, help them to follow. Lord, all, all we want is for people to be able to follow you and to come to the end and be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.